Welcome to DeFi by Design, where we talk all things blockchain and cryptocurrency while striving to educate, empower, and enrich. What is going on, guys? Welcome to DeFi by Design. Today, we've got a very special guest. We've got Nick White from Celestia, Chief Modular. Uh, Celestia, uh, leading the modular wave, um, and uh, we are fully embracing the the concept and philosophy of modularity. Um, Nick, man, I mean, I'm not going to do too much of a preamble. I'm just going to hand it over to you. And I, I think like where we'd like to start is modularity in general. What does that mean? To you? Well, first, thank you, Robbie and Andy, for having me on. I've seen you guys uh, very much embrace the modular uh community and vibe and memes and uh you know it, it warms my heart and so I'm I'm so to be here and get to talk to you guys about all this stuff. So modularity is this idea. I mean it's something that's you know a much bigger idea than just like the crypto space, right? It, it's kind of like applied across various different technologies. But generally <clears throat> the concept is that instead of trying to do everything all in one package, you can unbundle things and decompose them into specific components. And then those components can be designed to, you know, specialize in one specific function. And then those pieces can then be recombined to achieve the same like overall result. So, you know, you can think of it sort of like Lego pieces or like different parts of a, of a car, you know, that all pit, fit together to make the complete package, but each one of them is like a separate, you know, specialized component that one, you know, team or company can, you know, specialize in making that the best as possible. And then you can also, because things are split apart and able to recombine, you could get all this flexibility of different combinations of different components. And so when we apply that to the blockchain space, you know, historically blockchains were built in a monolithic architecture, meaning that like, you know, every piece is glued together, fused together, like welded, right? And so the, the blockchain is just this very rigid uh, thing and uh, kind of limits what people can do on that blockchain if you're a developer or user. And it also, you kind of binds you to certain fundamental constraints around scalability or verifiability in most cases. And so... Modularity of blockchain design is about, hey, well, actually, let's like split those apart rather than having this one rigid monolithic, you know, thing, we're going to split it into different layers and different protocols. And those protocols, again, specialize in these different functions. So um, that is what modularity is all about. It's about a new paradigm for blockchain design. And it's going to result, just like I said, in things like a lot more flexibility and expressivity for for developers, I think it's going to be uh, something that uh, matures the space and gets us where we need to be to actually develop or like sort of like develop and deliver compelling applications, right? Like everyone's always talking about, well, where are the users? Where are the apps? And I think, uh, and everyone's like, oh, everyone's overly obsessed with with like infrastructure. Why are there so many L ones um, and rollups and things like that? And, and I think the reason is that we've been held back by the infrastructure we've been building and the modular movement kind of promises to, to sort of like bring us up to a level of maturity where we're ready to go for the big leagues. It, it's very cool to see the, the blockchain space go through this transition, this like this transformation from monolithic to modular. Like 
the you mentioned car parts, which is like kind of my when I was like just learning just in general, is like just going through my schooling. There was this like case study on interchangeable parts from Henry Ford, and my understanding is that this led to the industrial revolution in in America, and that by by allowing interchangeable parts, then each piece of the manufacturing process was able to specialize on the one part that that it was building and it was it was supposed to to focus on um there's another philosophy that that we we talk about sometimes which is divide and conquer and i think this is also applicable to modularity because once we're able to divide we're able to conquer and specialize on these individual pieces and as long as those pieces are composable and you can kind of like weld them back together then you kind of have like this this more specialized stack at each level that also accomplishes like the the goal of the overall whole. And and this is what I see as like modularity continues to expand is like these specialized interchangeable parts that projects and groups are able to incorporate into their own blockchains for an overall more mature stack. And like we hadn't seen that in blockchain. Like other industries had gone through that that maturation process how did how did you and the celestia team find this this movement like how did how did you get this idea to to install interchangeable parts into blockchains so the idea really goes back to uh 2018 and 19 so um and it involves um one of our co-founders uh mustafa al-assam he wrote, he co-authored a paper with Vitalik that described this new cryptographic primitive called data availability sampling, which kind of solves one of the core scaling bottlenecks of, of blockchains. Uh, we, we can like, you know, talk about that later. But as a as sort of like a follow-up to that uh, initial idea, he wrote uh, another paper in 2019 called Lazy Ledger. And in that paper, he kind of, he had this insight, which is that you know, we assume, right, all, all like blockchains from, you know, Bitcoin to Ethereum to Solana, every blockchain that existed up until that point, it was assumed that every time there's a new ch new block of transactions added to the, to the ledger, added to the chain, that all of the nodes in the network would actually have to uh, not just sort of like vote on consensus of like adding the block, but also would have to verify all the transactions before accepting that that block should be added. So what that meant was there was this bundling, this coupling of uh, consensus, which is again, how, you, how, you, how do you decide what data gets added to the ledger, which transactions gets added, and then execution, which is how do you decide which transactions are valid and how do you know what the, the state of the chain is? And in every blockchain, he, like those two things happen at the same time and we're Perform those functions were performed by the same set of nodes, and then and he he had this insight. He's like, actually, there's no reason why that has to be the case. It was just sort of like, you know, Satoshi did it that way, and then everyone just kind of took that for granted and carried on that way. But when you go back to the basics and the fundamentals, you realize that you don't need to do that. You could actually just have a chain that is lazy, meaning that it just adds raw data and it doesn't look at the data at all. It just comes to consensus, meaning it orders that data and adds it to the chain. And then other people 
can read that data and run their own execution on top of it. And this is actually before the idea of rollups existed, really. I mean, there was ideas about L2s like Plasma and things like that. But um, so the core idea was essentially like just make build a blockchain that doesn't do any execution. And uh, it's such a counterintuitive idea, right? Everyone else at the same time was trying to pursue blockchain, blockchain architectures that actually made things more complicated, like sharding or even like Solana with all these like really intense optimizations around execution and block propagation, all these things. Um, so rather than going more compl complex, Mustafa went the other way. He went back to the uh, first principles and it was like, actually, I'm going to solve all these problems by actually just like going back down and and started like creating a new path that no one's ever thought of before and simplifying, simplifying and distilling what blockchains are really about. And so um, that's really where where the idea came from. And then in parallel, what, one of our other co-founders, um, John Adler, was was working on layer two scaling solutions and he came up with this construction of the optimistic rollup. And those two ideas ended up being perfect complements for each other, basically, um, where, you know, the like a lazy ledger like Celestia is all about only consensus and data availability, no execution. And a rollup is all about only execution, no consensus and data availability will inherit that from another chain. And so like each one was kind of incomplete without the other. And when those two kind of merged, it was like, oh, wow, we have now this new paradigm for building blockchains where we have separated consensus and execution to separate protocols. And then that idea has now, and so that, that was like the birth of this notion of modularity. There was a blog post in 2019 that Mustafa wrote when he introduced the project, which was called Lazy Ledger at the time, now Celestia, where he said like, our vision is a modular, you know, blockchain ecosystem with, you know, <clears throat> consensus and data layers and execution engines. And that was sort of the, the birth of this, this notion of modularity. And that, now it's really extended even beyond just you know, consensus, data availability, execution, there's things like settlement, there's things like proving layers, shared se sequencers, and all these different modular components that have emerged kind of in reaction and as an extension of this original vision. And really, you know, the way that I think about it is that modular blockchains are sort of like protocols as a service. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to build a protocol that actually um, provides a functionality that other protocols can tap into. You know, like people are always talking about, you know, software as a service is a major movement in like Web2. And I think protocols as a service or like modular blockchains are sort of going to provide a similar kind of rev revolution in, in the Web3 space. Very interesting. And there's some there's some funny memes about Mustafa, which went up in it. But too much about, but that I've been seeing circulating and I think there's a kind of, like this, this aura Boy, genius in a sense, it's kind of like an untouchable vibe, which is, uh, it brings this aura of, 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 um, of, of higher power to Celeste, just a quick insight from what the, uh, outside looking in brings, which is, which is funny to, to kind of have on a, uh, on a, on a blockchain and on a crypto protocol, specifically with the, with the, uh, design choice that Celeste has made, um, you know, being, uh, being a DA, protocol we talk a bit more about why we think data availability may not be the best term but for now go with that you know you guys chose to be a cosmos 
chain or at least build on the Carlos SDK. Not necessarily affiliate yourselves too much with the Carlos ecosystem, but keep the properties of uh, of the Cosmos SDK. But that's not necessarily uh, a requirement to do data availability for the modular stack. So I'm curious kind of um, about that design choice and kind of what led up to that, um, you know, and how that allows Celestia to be a better data Good question. So um, you're right, Celestia is built using the Cosmos SDK and Tenderbit, or now what people call Comet BFT. And the reason that that choice was made was, first of all, um, Cosmos uh, kind of was the originator of this multi-chain vision for the the future of, of the blockchain industry. And like, you know, it's it, you know, people take that for granted now. But you know, if you rewind back to 2017, 18, even up until like 2020, maybe people kind of assumed that it would just be like this world computer world that we live in. You know, and Ethereum would scale, and you know, there there's no reason to have any other chains. It's just like all going to be on one chain. And some people still cling on to that vision, like Solana. They they really believe in this like one world computer thing. Uh, but Cosmos. You sort of were the originators of this idea of like no there 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 will be uh there w- it will be a, like a multi-chain future and there's a lot of different reasons for that there's sovereignty you know you want to like be able to control your own state like you don't want to be beholden to the social consensus of some other community and also just like application specific blockchains and be able to customize your chain for your use case and so first of all like celestia is very much aligned with that vision because one of the things that Celestia enables is the goals was to enable anyone to launch their own blockchain extremely easily and be able to customize it and be as sovereign as possible. So anyway, there's, there was always like this deep sort of a philosophical alignment and, and alignment of visions. Like, you know, Cosmos talks about the, um, what's their, it's, it's the, the internet of blockchains. Right. And I, I like to say what Celestia is kind of about, or, or like we're, Part of the vision is the internet of modular blockchain. So we're kind of like extending the Cosmos vision and hopefully making it even more, more possible. But the reason that we chose to build specifically using the Cosmos technology stack is that <clears throat> first of all, Celestia, we had to start over. It's a, it's a net new chain. No one had ever built, you know, a data availability layer with data availability sampling before. And so uh, we have very specific needs. It is sort of like an application-specific blockchain in the sense uh, where the application is data availability. Um, not necessarily because data availability is like a very generic thing. It's not really, it's not like an app, like a DEX, or it doesn't have any logic. But the what I'm getting at is that it made sense to use a software stack that was, first of all, a battle-tested Cosmos you know, uh, or, or Tendermint as a consensus engine and module what is still to this day the most battle-tested, widely used consensus engine out there. And so it's like, why reinvent the wheel? Just use something that works and, um, you know, tap into this broader community and you get IBC out of the box so we get interoperability and all the, like, wonderful things you get with Cosmos. And um, then, you know, the Cosmos SDK is nice because we, as a, you know, DAS data availability chain only needed specific functionality 
and a very minimal state machine. And so Cosmos SDK allowed us to customize that and just only use the things we, we needed. They have this interface <coughs> called ABCI++, which allowed us to um, basically, we had some kind of interactions between what's happening in the Tendermint la la layer and the uh, state machine. So having this like really good interface there allowed us to customize things and, and um, build our, our uh, build Celestia in a really like a uh, nice way, essentially, that wouldn't, you know, would have been really hard on, a, you know, using other stacks. So basically, Cosmos is the best tech out there. And um, you also get a shitload of things for free. Aside from IBC, you get wallets for free. You get explorers for free. You have all these validators out there who already know how to run Tendermint nodes. And so it's kind of a no-brainer to me. Like if you if you are building your own blockchain from scratch and you have to, which Celeste, you, you, it has to be its own blockchain, then to the Tendermint stack, uh, the Cosmos stack is is like the best thing out there. Now in the future, one of the the things that Celeste is built for is to to make it so people don't actually have to build their own blockchain, right? They can launch their own chain without bootstrapping a new consensus network and validators and all that. So, um, <clears throat> you know, but hopefully people will continue to use the Cosmos SDK. That's why we've done Rollkit, which we can talk about. But it's a it's a sort of roll-up framework that uh, is a sort of a replacement for Tendermint, um, but allows you to build Cosmos SDK um, roll-ups. Yeah, very, very, very cool. So so just to like make sure that we have like the entire like topography of Celestia, like kind of on the table here, um, you've got... You've got the, you 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 kind of laid out like these these three parts of a blockchain. You've got the consensus part. You've got the data part, which has multi like there's all there's all these other parts that are embedded in each of these sections. Data has data availability, storage, uh, broadcasting, all within the data layer. And then you've got the execution layer on top, uh, which is where like the rollups uh, are are hosting these applications. So. Quick, quick question. Like, does Celestia, it's, it has its own blockchain, but does it have its own validator set? Or it doesn't have its own validators because you guys use Tendermint? Like, how does how does that work as far as how consensus is derived? Yeah, so what Tendermint is, is just like the software. It's a consensus protocol. And um, so you still need a set of validators to run that protocol and, and come to consensus, you still have to issue your own proof of stake token, which, you know, is, is, is the thing that allows you to actually have this silver resistance to come to consensus and things like that. And, um, so yeah, like Celestia is very much its own blockchain with its own validator set, um, and its own proof of stake token, uh, which is Tia. And, um, and so like Tendermint, what it, what it is, is just that people, a whole community have written software that allows you to have a very secure consensus engine, essentially. And so rather than having, if everyone had to write their own consensus algorithm from scratch, then uh, there'd be bugs everywhere and uh, things would be really ugly. And also you wouldn't have these sort of standards like IBC, where it's really easy for any, any Tendermint-based chain to bridge to another one because they have this kind of common language of IBC that they can communicate through. Yeah. So everyone would have to, everyone would be Satoshi if they all had to write their own uh, consensus protocol. Um, yeah. 
Lord Mustafa. <laughs> and as much as I want to ask you about all the future airdrops for Otis stakers, I will just simply refrain and stay in the tech weeds. Um, getting grateful. To- Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Getting to the uh, the nuts and the bolts of um, of kind of what uh, Celestia enables for uh, for blockchain and something that we realize is that a lot of this modular idea is around solving the original trilemma of monolithic chains. Um, could, could you talk us through kind of how you see uh, Celestia's light nodes or or light clients playing a big part in kind of solving that? Uh, scalability and cost trial of rollups or just for blockchains in general? Yeah, great question. So people may have seen on Twitter or elsewhere, uh, you know, people running light notes and tweeting about it. And, um, you know, it's kind of a meme going at one point about like running a light note on a refrigerator or, you know, all these like different devices. And actually people were doing that. People ran them on you know, Kindles and uh, Nintendo Switches and uh, old computers or, uh, you know, TVs and things like that. And what that meme was about was basically this new node type that Celestia has enabled uh, that has never existed before, and it, which is a light node, right? It's kind of a portmanteau of this, of these two other node types that every chain, not every chain, but a lot of chains have, which is you have a full node, right? Which is basically a, a node that... Um, a lot of people think that that has that means it's a validator. No, like a validator is like a consensus node. A full node doesn't participate in consensus, but it ver- fully verifies the chain. So it downloads every transaction, or re-executes them, makes sure that they're all legit. And and so when you're running a full node, you are like fully verifying the chain. And so you're as secure as you could possibly be. You're not trusting the validators that they're you know that they're being honest. You if something goes wrong, you're going to see it, and you don't have to follow the chain anymore. So it's a full node. And then on the other hand, in, in monolithic blockchains, you have a light client. And a light client is something that is very light. You know, you could run it on a, on a phone theoretically or on your laptop. Like any user should be able to run it very cheaply. Uh, but the, it takes a shortcut, which is that it just trusts the validators of the chain or the monitors of the chain to be honest. So the, you 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 kind of like in a monolithic or like the old style of building blockchains, you're stuck in this world where you either pay a lot and have to and and run a full, run a full node and have the maximum security and least trust assumptions, or you have to sacrifice the security. Uh, you know, if you're a user and you can't afford running a, running a full node, and but then you're making these trust assumptions, right? So then you're kind of defeating the whole purpose of blockchains to begin with. Because blockchains are all about having these verifiable systems that you don't have to trust other people for. So what's so cool about Celestia is that there's this new node type, which is kind of a combination of the best of both worlds. And so it's a light node. So it's a, you get the security of a full node, basically, with the uh, node requirements, the resource requirements of a light client. And so this is enabled by, this enables all the users all over the world to run a um, run a node directly on their phone and directly verify Celestia, and so they don't have to trust the validators of Celestia. To be honest, they can know for themselves what the ground truth is, and <clears throat> this is enabled by this new technology that I talked about earlier, which is data availability sampling. So, the reason why you can't 
run have a light node on a normal chain is that if you wanted to verify the chain, you used to have to download all that data, right? That's what a full node does. It has to download every transaction and re-execute them. And um, what data availability sampling does is it makes it so that instead of having to download every single transaction or all the data in a, in a given block, you can just sample from that block randomly. So you only have to download less than 1% of the overall data, but you get a, almost 100% guarantee that the block is valid. So it's, a, it's sort of like a probabilistic method. It's very similar to how actually how ZK proofs work, for example. So you were able to directly verify the chain by doing a significant, you know, orders of magnitude less work. And the other magical property of it is that uh, as more light nodes start to run and verify the chain, the bigger the Celestia block size can grow while still remaining trust minimized. So Celestia, that's why I was kind of, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but one of the unlocks of Celestia is this uh, scaling property where the more users there are in the network, the more people running these light nodes, the bigger the blocks can be. So you don't end up, you don't have a fixed block size. You don't have this fixed capacity where, you know, in Ethereum or other monolithic chains, there's a maximum block size and you can't go beyond that, right? The only way to go beyond that is to increase the node requirements for everyone in the network. And that, again, leads to centralization. Whereas in Celestia, there is no fixed block size because as more and more people run nodes, you can increase that block size uh, elastically. And so um, this, is, this is really cool because it's the first time where we can really have abundant block space for everyone to send their transactions. Transactions can be cheap uh, you know, in perpetuity in, in a system that's designed this way and has this, this kind of property. And again, every user can now be a first-class citizen of the network. They can verify things directly themselves and not have to trust anyone else. They don't even have to use an RPC, which um, is essentially how most people interact with blockchains today is there's an intermediary. The blockchains are meant to be peer-to-peer -peer networks where you know I send my transaction directly to the rest of the nodes. But actually what's happening in today's uh, infrastructure is you know, I send my transaction through MetaMask and it goes to, to some other centralized RPC provider before going to the real network. So it's kind of like this layer between the users and the real the real thing and the, and the reality, the truth. If I want to know what the state of the blockchain is, I can't verify that myself. I ask the RPC to tell me what it is. So uh, light nodes are really, I think, an evolution in the right direction for, for the space in so many different ways in terms of scalability, as well as in terms of decentralization. Taking a quick commercial break here to tell you guys about our lovely sponsors. Right before we get back to this fascinating discussion, we have a message from our current sponsors. Here we go. I want to take a moment to introduce you to our sponsor, Premia Finance. Premia is a native options protocol that offers market-driven pricing and capital-efficient returns for traders and liquidity providers. With Premia, you can trade options on a variety of different crypto assets. What sets Premium apart is its unique pricing mechanism, which is based on the market's expectation of future volatility. This means that options prices are always in line with market conditions, which provides traders with the most fair and transparent pricing. Recently, Premium has just launched their Options Academy, where you can learn for free how to become a proficient options trader. Feel free to check it out at premium.finance, hedge your risks, or amplify your positions um, to earn more capital efficient returns on Premium Finance. Thank you. And another exciting sponsor to introduce you is Plana Finance. I've recently been onboarded as an advisor for Plana Finance, which is one of the first self-custodial wallets to support account abstraction. 
With Planet Finance, you can revolutionize your crypto experience and take control of your assets like never before. Say goodbye to the hassle of managing multiple wallets. Hello to a seamless, user-friendly experience. Planet Finance allows you to easily manage your assets, swap tokens, and earn rewards all in one place on your mobile phone. They have an app in the Apple App Store as well as in the Google Play Store. Uh, with Planet Finance's self-custodial wallet, you hold the keys to your assets, ensuring the highest level of security and privacy. With tons of cool features like gasless trading, um, interesting yield competitions, and cool NFTs, there's an amazing amount of effort going into building this app that already has tens of thousands of users. So what are you waiting for? Download Planet Finance today and experience the future of crypto wallets. When one gigabyte block, sir? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, um, we are currently, so uh, for those who don't know, we launched uh, back in October, end of October, uh, with two megabyte blocks with the ability to increase the size, the box size up to eight megabytes via on-chain governance, um, because that's sort of what the protocols currently expect to handle. Um, but um, we have the ultimate goal of uh, eventually meeting and hopefully even exceeding uh, gigabyte size blocks. Um, now, there's going to be a lot of, you know, you can't just get there overnight. And um, it, it, aside from just the, the bottleneck of needing enough light nodes in the network to secure that size of block, there's also just you know, straight up engineering constraints, but we have a lot of really interesting, exciting uh, new approaches on the way. And um, I think we, yeah, we'll be able to scale block size pretty significantly um, in the near future. Um, and so, but, but I don't know, gigabyte block specifically, I don't know, but what, you know, maybe, yeah, I think 64, 64 megabyte blocks or, or, you know, I don't want to necessarily pin down a number, but I feel like those sort of smaller, newer, nearer term goals are very achievable, I think. Um, but yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, it 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 it's uh it's dependent based on what you're saying on the amount of of uh, people running light nodes. So, the, in order to get to those those level of storage and block street, you would technically need a. a increasing the amount of usage of terms of users, light nodes, and just like blockchains using Celestia and that kind of how it would scale. But like I guess aside from just like like when, but like what is the path to 64 megabit blocks? Is it just a matter of scaling the amount of users and light nodes or is it a, a, a demand question? Kind of it's the so there's a lot of different moving components and I don't want to like alpha leak anything and i think there will be a blog post that we publish i don't know in the coming couple months or something like that that will sort of like describe a more detailed roadmap of, of power scaling log size but um there's a few different components one obviously like i said number of light nodes you need to have enough light nodes to actually securely sample that size of block right i don't i think that i think we're going to be pretty covered on that um the the, the other bottlenecks are more on the engineering side so there's two two components. One is just the block production side. Like, can the block producing nodes, the consensus nodes, actually build blocks and like vote on them and gossip all the transactions and things like that uh, as blocks get bigger? And uh, there are certain bottlenecks that need to be fixed in order for that to uh, sort of be achievable. 
the nice thing though about Celestia is that we, because we have light nodes, we can increase the validator requirements without causing centralization. So like, you know, Solana's solution to scaling blockchains, I mean, aside, they do do some optimizations, um, but a lot of it is, is also just increasing the node requirements for, for validators, right? And so that's kind of like, I wouldn't call that cheating, but it, it is cheating if you don't have a light nodes, right? Because by increasing the, the validator requirements, you're, you're just centralizing the chain. Now in Celestia's case, we can do what Solana does, but as but if people are sampling, then we're not actually causing centralization. So we can have bigger block producing nodes without the side effect, the negative side effect, if you will. So there's there's always that option. But like, um, so aside from that, um, there's also the 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 bottleneck of making sure that sampling works as intended as the number of light nodes increases and as the block size increases. Um, so there's, there's also work to be done on the data availability sampling protocol side of things, aside from this block production. Yeah. 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 The, uh, I, I draw two tiles here. First week we had a podcast with say network. They are more or less a monolithic chain using a paralyzed EVM. Um, but, um, they're, they're able to scale in a sense, uh, using parallelization, which is kind of interesting subject at the at the VM level and then the other one is uh with with regards to sampling is, is um similar but different is DDT this distributed validative technology wherein you know you can own just a, a key to a a cluster of nodes of full nodes for Ethereum which uh allows you to um you know be a small staker but still own part of the full node all these different things in in blockchain which are democratizing access and decentralization furthering that for um i think super bullish specifically on your da side on your data with sampling side um what's it between single one-dimensional ds and two-dimensional and is there is there a focus for celestia or is that kind of for this yeah well first i want to say um Parallelization is is something that's super powerful at the execution layer, and um, you know really excited about you know obviously Solana Virtual Machine does that. Monad is building that. I know say is big on that. And interestingly enough, one of the things that um, is useful even for scaling a DEA layer like Celestia is parallelization, but at the block production level. And so there's this notion of uh, internal sharding. So it's kind of funny because you know, data availability sampling was invented to basically <laughs> like uh, make sharding obsolete and, and it's a much more elegant solution. Um, but it, we're kind of like coming back to sharding, but rather than sharding the chain, you're sharding sort of the block production internal to each node. That's something that I'm sure we'll like discuss more on. That is a, that is a very cool concept. Uh, Ishmael from Lagrange kind of opened my eyes and he called it embedded rollups. Like, hmm. Because it's kind of like internal sharding. It is. It's, yeah. It's a nice concept. Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder if he was uh, sort of like talking about the same, the same thing as, as sort of what what I referred to. Probably. Um, anyway, what were we? Oh yeah, we, you were talking about DVT and things like that. And I think I think DVT um, is interesting in terms of like democratizing access to people running validators. But even 
something that's interesting about Celestia's vision for like the future uh, or how, you know, what's, what, what, what are we optimizing for when we're building these systems is that, you know, the valid, a validator set doesn't really have to be like focusing on the decentralizing the validator set or making like having like, let's say 10,000 validator nodes is actually kind of a, uh, a mistake in the sense of that there's, there's bigger fish to fry, more important things to prioritize, such as end user verification, right? Or like people be able to verify the, the chain directly. And so as long as you have light nodes, you have end user verification, then you're not really trusting the validator set for very much. You're trusting that they're, uh, you know, going to come to consensus uh, you know, and they're not going to fork the chain. But the thing is you, you have, if you're a proof of stake, you have, uh, uh, you know, like a, like forking the chain is, is attributable fault. So you can slash them always. And that's really the, I think the best you can do in terms of consensus. And then the other thing you're trusting them for is censorship resistance. Right. Um, and that's a big, that's a big deal, right? You do want these systems to be censorship resistant, but how many, like, uh, how many validators do you need to ensure censorship resistance? And really the, the reality is it's not about the number of validators. It's about the distribution of stake in general. Like, so, uh, like, you know, you can have 10,000 validators, but if like the stake is centralized among like the top, you know, 30 or something like that, which is something that you see across almost every chain out there, um, it doesn't really matter. So anyway, I just wanted to like, uh, note that and really so really the, the the answer is about end user verifiability so that you don't actually rely on the validators very much now your question what was the, what was the question as, as, as regards to the differences we don't have to get too technical here but i think it's it's interesting because there's going to be more and more da uh, protocols coming up um that are going to be talking about this which is a one-dimensional data availability sampling and two-dimensional oh right sampling and the differences and what's powerful and kind of how you how you're looking at that and even just what it means for our audience. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's talk about data availability sampling. Let's get a little bit more in, into the weeds here. I'll try to explain it as simply as possible because it's really not that complicated. Um, so, okay. So here, the, this is the problem, right? You have this data, right? That's all this transaction data that's in a block. And now you want to be able to verify that all that data is actually there, right? But you don't want to have to download all that data yourself. Because if let's say that, let's say the block is a gigabyte, right? If you have to, if, if I had to download a gigabyte of data on my phone every 12 seconds and every time there's a new Celestia block, that's never going to work, right? So we need to have a way for me to download like, I don't know, maybe like, 10 kilobytes or 100 kilobytes of data and but verified have a have a statistical guarantee that all the data that that validator that block producer tells me is in that block was actually published i want to know that the data was published so that's so that other people uh could download and see that data if they wanted to right that's that's the problem statement of of data availability um and so you know naively you know, you would think like there's no solution. It's just like, well, I can only, the only way for me to know that all the data is there and is actually available and published is for me to look at every single, you know, byte of data and verify that it's there myself, right? And that's what, that's what every monolithic existing blockchain does. They download the full block, right? Now, the cool thing was that Mustafa and uh, Vitalik and this guy, Alberto Sonino wrote this paper 
where they introduced this concept of data availability satellite. So the, the, and it solves this problem, but it's kind of mind blowing. It's pretty magical. So what, what you do is you take the original data, let's say that one gigabyte of data, and you use this technology uh, called erasure coding. And erasure coding is used in things like CD-ROMs. It's used in like streaming. It's used in like every web like web connection. You know, when you're when you're when you're sending packets, like a lot of shit gets dropped. And so what you and and like a CD-ROM gets scratched. All these things, uh, you know, it's very easy to lose data, right? And so what erasure coding does is it adds redundancy to the data, such that even if you lose parts of it, you can always recover the original. Data. So, in you know CD-ROMs and in, in like in, in internet connection, um, you're you're losing the data. In this block production sort of like blockchain world, it's that the, the validator might be trying to hide data from you, right? So it's like a like a sort of malicious intent. And but but erasure coding does the same thing, which is that if the validator tries to hide certain data from you, you can always still recover the original thing. As long, if he wants to hide the original data, he has to hide a huge amount of the overall data that includes the erasure coded portion. So you take the original data, you add this redundancy, which is the erasure coded portion, and then you sample from the erase. You sample randomly from the erasure coded, uh, sorry, the, the 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 extended data. It's called, which is the original plus the erasure coded, and what you know is that if he's going to try to hide the original data, he has to hide, let's say, uh, 50% of the overall data. So every time I, I sample randomly, if I get a actual response that's valid, like he shows me, I'm like, hey, show me the data behind, you know, uh, you know index 1000. Show me the data behind index 9988, something like that. You, and you just do that randomly. Every time he actually comes back to you and has a, has a real, like real data to show you, then you have an increasing confidence that the whole block data is available. Because every time you have a 50% chance of landing somewhere that he's trying to hide, if that makes sense. It's kind of like flipping a coin where every time it lands up heads, you feel like more and more confident that it's always going to land up heads. Does that make sense? Whereas as soon, as soon as it lands tails, right, then you know, it's like, okay, well, I just found a, I found an index of this block where you're not willing to tell me what's there. So you're hiding data. So now I'm not going to trust this. I'm not going to trust this block. That makes sense. So that's how data availability sampling works. Now, what I described was sort of like the simplified version, which kind of is in one dimension so, or, or 1D. Now the problem is, so with, with, um, this scheme, the validator could also do something malicious, which is they could uh, extend the data incorrectly. So you have to, in order for this, in order to be able to recover the original data, you have to, the, the validator has to have actually used the right erasure coding scheme to extend the data. They could have, he could have, if he wanted to be malicious, just made gibberish, right? So that even if you sampled enough and had enough data, you couldn't ever recover the original data to begin with. And so to avoid that situation, you have to have some kind of mechanism to alert the light nodes that, hey, this is a like a badly encoded block. And so for that reason, you have to, uh, and, and that mechanism uh, is basically if, uh, 
if it's all one dimensional, that fraud proof mechanism essentially requires all the light notes to download the entire block. That's the only way to verify that the encoding was incorrect or like a significant amount of it. So instead of what you do is you, you take the original data and you chunk it up in, and you make rows and columns and you extend all those in a two dimensional array. And, and then basically you sample over that two dimensional array. And now what happens is if there's bad, if there's a, if there's bad encoding, um, you can just, uh, the, the fraud proof size is a square root of the overall data. So it makes the fraud proof much smaller. So it's very important for like the scalability of the system. Hopefully that made sense, <laughs> but feel free to ask that question. It, it does make sense. It, me it means that this 2D uh, 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 data availability sampling process is able to sample, uh, well, it's able to verify more data by sampling less. Like you only have to pick out, you, you can pick out fewer points, but still understand the validity of the entire block. Um, I want to, I want to make sure that I understand like kind of what, what's happening here. Like great explanation, by the way. So like what's happening here is that the light nodes are sampling the validators, right? And they're requesting these indexes. Like, um, you know, let's say, all right validator show me index number 69 all right valid like show me index number 420 okay valid and like we can we can sample a statistically this very right that's really random sampling there yeah very very random. <laughs> i didn't put ek proven sampling numbers right there <laughs> anyway he was doing this exercise on like a panel at istanbul and i raised my he was like give me a number i raised my hand i was like pi He's like, nope, got to be an integer. So I was like, all right, let me pick my numbers more carefully. <laughs> um, and is it is it like one light node? Like if I'm running a light node, am I picking multiple indexes? Or is it like your light node picks 420? Like Andy's, you know, picks like a different index. I pick a different index. Like, is that is that what's happening? We're all like all of the light nodes are picking their own samples? Or is each light node picking like their own their own samples is it like a collective approach or is it like a, each individual uh does the sampling good question so it's completely random and it has to be for the security uh, of the protocol so each light node there's no coordination it's not like okay i'm light node number one so i do samples one through 100 you do sample you light node two you do you know 101 to 200 it's it's uh it's each one is totally independent of each other but it is collective in the sense of as long as there are enough light nodes sampling randomly, then you, you have a, uh, a threshold at which you know that a minimum amount of the block has been sampled. And because, you, yeah, you, you need what you need is that in the case where, so like we can go really deep into this. I actually gave a talk uh, in Istanbul at L2 Days about different data availability schemes, but one of the uh, one of the attack vectors here that we haven't talked about yet is that the, uh, the 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 block producing node could actually let all the light nodes sample, but not let any not let any one node get enough data to reconstruct the original block. So then, what you need is you so all the light nodes have sampled it, so they all trust it, they think it's available, but then no one's able to. 
actually take the data back together and get the original thing. So these, what these light nodes need to be able to do is actually talk to each other. And, a, and an honest full node needs to be able to gather the samples from every light node around there and reconstruct the original block. So the reason I bring this up is that what you need, the reason why you need the minimum threshold of these light nodes for a given block size is that you need to have a statistical guarantee that there are enough samples out there to reconstruct the original block. But yeah, but you're not doing it in a way where, oh, each light node coordinates with each other. They're, they're still totally random. I got a I got a weird mental model here, and I'm curious if this is if this is like uh, reasonable to think to think about this in in this way. So you've got validators who are running proof of stake. They've all got some capital at at stake, and then they're coordinating consensus that way. Uh, like and and the cost of corruption is the cost of this stake. Um, then or loosely there's like it's not exactly the amount of stake but it's it's like based on the amount of stake that validators have then you've got the light nodes who are gossiping like their samples to one another is it fair to think about this light node valid this light node set of this these light nodes as its own sort of consensus mechanism yet it's not it's not stake or capital at stake it's data at stake is like is that yeah, the, the, yeah. The, there's, 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 there's an element there. I think there's a thread of of truth in the sense where, um, so light nodes are, and th this is something that a lot of people don't understand about blockchains and how they work. Um, a lot of people assume, right? And it's partly, partly because of, for example, the nomenclature. Like people say validator, right? I think validator is a absolutely terrible name because it includes this word valid, validate. It implies that those nodes are actually intended to verify the chain, right? But we just talked about how, especially in Celestia, for example, that, like, that's not necessary. Like, the, like you don't have to, uh, validators don't have to verify the chain. They can just be dummy data, right? Like in, in, in Celestia's case. And... Um, what, what validators really are, are just consensus nodes. What they're really what they're really doing is just adding transactions to the chain, adding data to the chain, appending data, and um, and that's really their their function, right? Now, um, in and 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 they don't validate. You're not supposed to trust them that all the that whatever's on the chain is is valid. You are supposed to run a, a full node or some other kind of node that allows you to verify it for yourself, right? Because the whole point of blockchain is that you, we get out of these trust models where, yeah, maybe that like, yeah, trusting, I'd rather trust a, a decentralized set of, of nodes than like one like Google, right? Sure, that's a step in the right direction, but you're still, there's still trust in the system. Those nodes could collude against you and lie to you, right? So what blockchains are always all about is trust minimization. And the way you minimize trust is by people verifying things directly themselves, right? So when I run a full node, I'm not trusting the validators. Um, and so anyway, the reason I mentioned that and to circle back to light nodes is that light nodes are the same in that like you are kind of voting, right? Everyone who's participating in the chain does sort of vote on the blocks in the sense of like, they're not voting which blocks get added, right? 
but they are voting in, they're deciding every time there's a new block that gets proposed. Like the validators just propose the block, but no one at the network has to accept it, right? They have their own choice of they can inspect the block, verify it, and then say, you know what, this block breaks the rules or this block has unavailable data and they can discard it and throw it away. And that's really where the security of blockchains comes from, is from people verifying it. So in a sense, yes, they are, they are fundamental to the security. They are voting, in a sense, with their feet of like, you know, you try to send me this, the validators try to send me this block, I'm not going to trust that. Go screw yourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, it's all about social consensus. That's, what we, we, that's why we say, you know, social consensus is layer zero, you know? Yeah, Rob and I came to the conclusion with Smokey the Bear that Bear Chain's community is actually, this applies to all platforms, especially to us, yeah, as you've seen, kind of the, the memes, the staking, and the airdrops, and all that stuff kind of come to light. Is the community is almost like its own set of validators. Even if they're not staking or participating in the network, they're almost their own nodes just by achieving that social consensus, right? Amongst the, you know, about the brand, the image and all these things and the, and, and the means, right? Very interesting how you can have this off-chain or around-chain social validation happening. You you bring up a couple points that I, I saw on a proposal on Celestia's forum from maybe a couple months ago, which was that to try to figure out a way to go from the current realm of data availability to data publishing. After this mm-hmm. conversation, it's almost like data verification information and publishing the data is available but it's not it's not about that it's about verifying it and passing it on almost and publishing it to right to like the main chain or to, to the settlement layer so like what are your thoughts on this are we too far gone to change data availability or no is there is there reasoning to want to change it or kind of how do you think that people should think about this um whether or not we can, you know, change the term. Is there, is there a better, is data publishing a better way or how do you think about the terminology? You know, data um, publishing is very much a better phrase. The thing is data availability has built up so much mind share and even, you know, people abbreviate it to DA and, and, so it, it's it will be hard it would be hard to replace it, but I th- but I think ultimately data publishing, uh, DP will be potentially a better beam, uh, or not meme, but like a, a more uh, a much easier thing for people to grasp. And the, the reason is that it just gets to the heart of what this is really all about, which is I have some data that I want to publish, and I want people to be able to verify that it was published without having to download all of it. That's really all that this comes down to. And data availability, uh, availability is such a vague um, word, right? And a lot of people, it's so easy to misunderstand that, um, like, you know, what that means. And so a lot of people oftentimes, and I, and this still happens, this happened like for the you know, first three years when I started talking about data availability, everyone would be like, oh, well, you know, well, there's, you know, Filecoin is a data availability layer. Like, why do you need Celestia? And I'd, I'd be like, well, no, it's not. It's a data storage layer. And they're like, yeah, but like, you know, the data is available. It's there. I push put, put it on, uh, you know, you know, um, Filecoin and anyone can now download it. 
right? And 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 so like there was this con con constant confusion about what data availability meant. And even these teams would be like, "Hey, we're a new data availability layer, right?" And and we would have to be like, "Hey, you're using the word incorrectly." Even I remember like back in the day, Chris Dix Chris Dixon tweeted about like, "Oh, uh, um, what's that?" It's like an inferior like service. I can't remember what it's called. Uh, but it's basically like an RPC type of, or like a indexer. And he was like, oh, well, this indexer is like, but Alchemy. He was like, Alchemy is a great data availability layer. And I was like, dude, that's not, like, Alchemy has nothing to do with data availability. Alchemy um, just lets you like, just like uh, see the data, right? Just like. Yeah, it allows, it, it basically indexes the data. So it like analyzes it. And so you can query and like, you know, look into what's happening on chain in an efficient way. But it has nothing to do with, Publishing is not even a protocol. It's literally no, just, just a layer. Points to the data that's there, eh? Yeah, exactly. It's like a service, an off-chain service. And so anyway, um, so for that reason, I do feel like data publishing would be a better phrase. And and oftentimes that's that's kind of how I and I'm trying to explain to people what data availability is. I say like just think of it as data publishing, because that's a you know okay here here's like a here's an analogy that I haven't really used before, but I've been thinking about. Which is you can almost think of a Celestia like a newspaper, right? Um, and I know the newspapers are like totally out of date now, and like you know, like so you know uh, don't don't read into that side of the analogy, but uh, it, I think it, I think it works. Which is like okay, I what does a newspaper do, right? It's a it's a publisher, and what happens is people come to the newspaper and they say, hey, I have this article, right? I have this advertisement, and I want to publish it. On, it, on your newspaper network, basically, and 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 I'll pay you, you know this X amount of dollars to for you publish it for me. And the newspapers that's great, and it it packages, it takes all those articles, all those advertisements, bundles it into one package, which is like right, and then it sends out that block all over the world to everyone who's subscribed, right? So like I subscribe to the New York Times, okay, I'm gonna get the New York Times in my mailbox every day. Right, so every block time is sort of like, you know, a day in, in this analogy, right? And so every uh, I'm going to get the newspaper. No way am I going to read the whole thing. But like someone tells me, oh, by the way, uh, the roll-ups that I'm using, they tell me, by the way, you know, I updated the state of roll-up. And, and like, you don't worry, you don't have to read the whole article, but like, just look at today's issue of the New York Times and look and see that there was an article published and it's in there. Like, you, you don't have to read the whole thing. But just like look at the table of contents, you'll see there's a little like, you know, it says, you know, roll up B publishes this thing, right? And so all of a sudden I can verify it by the fact that I'm already subscribing to this like newspaper network. I get that kind of for free. I can do that for as many roll ups as there are participating in this in this um, newspaper network. So that's plus it is, but the, the newspaper is a lot, right? And each one of these articles or advertisements is the data behind the, the specific rollup. And you're like a reader. Like the reader is like the light node that is like sand in the dark. And yeah. it's like the, like the uh, 12 year old kid who comes and tosses the newspaper at your mailbox, screaming <laughs> about, about modular all day long. Extra, extra. Well, yeah, no extra, extra, extra. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, cool, man. Um, I think um, something that we can pull ourselves out from the uh that that today and some of the uh the application of the that we're seeing 
Notably, Mantel has launched um, what they're claiming as the first modular rollup, effectively with Celestia for DA or for data publishing, should we say? Um, I think we're going to start using data publishing in the rollup. Um, and yeah, I think that I heard Kenny, the founder of Manta, on a video with Boctomining with regards to these. So um, I'm, I'm curious to understand, first of all, um, how um, significant using Celestia for DA or other DA layers is in reducing settlement costs and, and data storage costs. Um, you know, I, I've heard 100x. 90x or near is 1800x eigenlayer is 500x so i'm really just trying to get to the bottom of like what users could expect as we push forward this or push this forward into 2024 i would also why there's this one or two month like startup period or or like warm-up period where manta slowly gets gradually cheaper and cheaper as celestia gets fully in training like kind of what that is, what's happening under the head or why that is. So you know, a quick primer on some of the uh, reductions in cost and then yeah, curious about the explanation or, or the, or the one-up period. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad you brought this up because now we're, you know, I think we went really deep on the, the theory side of, of modular blockchains so far, you know, talking about the technology, you know, why is modularity powerful and what I'm so stoked about is that we launched Celestia last year, right? And now the network is live. And so all these things that we used to have to talk about in the hypothetical are real and are tangible, right? And so one of the things I'm most proud about is um, that we have already had some of the first rollups migrate over from uh, Ethereum DA to Celestia DA. So Manta was actually the very first roll up to take that leap and um it's been honestly uh incredible because they uh, first of all the the transition was absolutely seamless so the users and like there's no downtime the network just uh shifted over seamlessly and users were totally impacted you would never have known the only thing you would have known or realized is like wow my gas fee just dropped by literally like 100x <laughs> and so um it's 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 pretty awesome and and one of the, and, and it's made all these applications, like there's this really cool application building on Manta called ZK Holem. So I don't know how much people know about Manta, but just a quick plug on, on them. And, and I think they're representative of the like, powers of the modular stack, but basically Manta is, is an OP stack rollup. So it's Optimism, it uses, has EVM, but it has a custom sort of EVM implementation where they've added functionality to natively verify certain kinds of ZK proofs. And so they have uh, a sort of built-in uh, sort of randomness as well as like privacy features. And this, so this is like, it's really cool because this is an exemplary of what modularity is all about, which is like you can customize the execution model of your chain to enable new use cases. And so that's like, that's what Manda's done. And one of the new use cases they've enabled was this uh, game uh, called CK Hold'em, which is like an on-chain uh, poker type application. And they use the randomness, right? So you can actually have like, you know, verifiably random game of poker and the privacy. So you don't have to actually verify, you don't have to reveal your cards to everyone else. Like if everything is on chain, right? But then you can just see what cards they have, then it's not going to be a very interesting poker game. So what's so cool about Manta is that they, uh, you know, are enabling these kind of applications. And so anyway, ZK Hold'em, before the transition to Celestia was too expensive to be 
feasible, basically. Like no one was going to play this poker game if it's like literally a dollar every time you want to make a move, right? Uh, you know what I'm saying? So what's cool is the transition. Reduce those fees by 100x. All of a sudden, people can actually play CKL and all these other applications that were running on Manta. So I, I don't know. That just is very meaningful to me because it's it's tangible. It's real. It's like, okay, the technology we built is actually you know, delivering real results and enabling new use cases and enabling more people to, to use the chain. And so, um, to, 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 to sort of wrap up on that, there's a tracker that Manta has also deployed, which tracks their DA fees. And, you know, in, in Ethereum world, there's this meme of like watching the fee burn, right? Which is like, okay, we're on a man, like, uh, whole filler. Uh, I was going to say something a little bit, uh, not not appropriate, but basically they are they're gonna like they they circle around this thing and they're just like watching it and and just getting stoked about this idea of like more and more fees getting burned, and we've kind of uh, with Manta and with you know other rollups that are planning to migrate kind of flipped that on its head that narrative, and instead of watching the fee burn, we talk about watching the fees save essentially like the anti burn if you will, and um, in this case Manta has a tracker that tracks basically the, the delta the difference between how much uh, gas they would have paid on Ethereum versus what they're paying on Celestia. And so currently they have already, since they launched, which was sometime about a month ago, I think December 12th, they have saved over a million dollars in gas fees. So they have been running their rollup on Ethereum. They would have paid a million dollars by now. And so um, I think that's really why there's such an incentive for all these other teams to migrate is that like, that million dollars is money that can stay in your users' pockets. It's money that you can also internalize via your sequencer. And you can use that money to, you know, fund more development of the protocol. You could put it into the DAO treasury so that people can spend it and however they want. And so that's that's something that's really um, really amazing. So if people want to check that out. It's meta.socialscan.io slash da dash fee dash tracker or if you like just google manta data availability fee tracker or something like that it, it should pop up um but yeah I'm, I'm pretty pretty excited about that lovely um and is the manta network at full capacity with regards to celestia's da is it ever at full capacity like does it reach a point where it's like it can't scale past how does that how does that transition yeah, I think that they're pretty far from reaching so the capacities, the capacity for uh, Celestia, um, Celestia's DA capacity. Uh, I think so far the total data, based on like the uh, sort of lock explorer thing, is they, they post around seven hundred megabytes um, of data so far in the, the history of the chain. And so, if we were doing like two megabytes every twelve seconds, that's like ten megabytes every minute. Um, and so you could have posted all of that in basically like an hour. It's like only like an hour, a little over an hour of Celestia block space um, over the last month or so. So they're, they're far from saturating. However, I know that they have had like people minting in inscriptions and things like that, um, which, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen this in other ecosystems, but like, I don't know. I don't really get it, but whatever, this is the inscription mint. There's like a race basically to mint as many as you can you know, in that, that period of time when it gets released. And so there have been these moments where there's been congestion because everyone's just like, 
spamming, you know, trying to try to mint as many as possible. But yeah, I mean, long story short, Celestia still has a, a lot more capacity to supply data availability to a lot more rollups. Uh, and, and also we can increase the block size to eight megabytes, um, as needed without any like further protocol upgrades. Yeah. Lovely. And, um, seeing as this pod will be released after these updates, um, what, what is the, what is the TLDR on AVO, AEVO, as well as Frax, how is Celestia going to, uh, intertwine there, um, and bring better DA solutions? Yeah, well, I don't know um, how much I can say about that um, other than, you know, Celestia, for any project that is building or is using their own L2 or their own chain, Celestia has a very concrete uh, value proposition, which is you can run your chain extremely cheaply with high security and verifiability. And, um, I think that there's a lot of, I, one chain that I can you know, talk about, uh, sort of in, in that context is, is Lyra, which is like an on-chain, uh, sort of like options, uh, exchange. And, um, it, you know, as you know, options exchanges have a, are very data hungry, right? There's a lot of data that has to be posted on the chain. And frankly, that if you're running on Ethereum, it's just going to be extremely expensive. Uh, and so Lyra is migrating to Celestia and that's going to, again, just like Manta, reduce their, their costs by like 99% or more. And also I, I should mention, by the way, because um, we didn't talk about it earlier, we have this uh, bridge, this DA bridge with Ethereum called Blobstream. And what that enables you to do is still have a uh, a bridge to Ethereum. So your rollup can still be an ETH L2 and it can get uh, users and liquidity from Ethereum, but it doesn't have to pay the expensive DA fees on Ethereum. We can pay the DA fees on Celestia. So you get kind of get the best of both worlds uh, in this situation. And so, um, uh, but yeah, basically like, you know, expect a lot more, uh, I would say chains to start to uh, migrate. There was a good episode on Bankless with um, Andrew Wong from Conduit. And he was talking about how there's, he's just seeing a lot of chains um, sort of demanding to to migrate. Uh, I think a lot of our other roll-up as a service partners are, are seeing a similar pattern. Um, and um, yeah, Blobstream is also something that is not yet live on mainnet, but will be soon. Uh, we're getting very, very close. And um, I think that's going to be a big step forward in this whole like modular role. Oh, by the way, I also want to mention what's one of the cool things that you can do um, if you're using Celestia for DA, a lot of a lot of folks have this fear of like, well, Celestia is a new chain. You know, if I'm going to migrate my L2 to Celestia, what if Celestia goes down, or you know, there's congestion, or for whatever reason, I'm not able to post successfully post my data to Celestia, then my chain would like halt, basically, right? Um, and that's a valid fear. You know, like Ethereum has been around for a long time, more battle-tested chain. Um, than Celestia, so you feel a little bit safer, right, from that perspective. And the nice thing is we've built this capability to have a fallback to Ethereum. So you can actually, uh, if Celestia, for whatever reason, uh, you're unable to post data there, you can always post your data back on Ethereum uh, so your chain doesn't have to halt or, or go through any kind of like service issues. So um, there's a lot of really cool things like that that I think make, make the Celestia integration 
uh, really appealing to a lot of different teams. Come on, Nick. We've done a little research, buddy. Come on. <laughs> this in our first round, you We're going to want to ask about the trade-offs. Well, you know, there's an argument about decentralization. You guys have a really nice graphic that shows, you know, validiums, um, then to uh, datability committees, which are uh, your tweet recently, and uh, like anti committees, and then you got selenium's and roll-ups. So there's, 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 you know, there's a bit of a Ethereum alignment question, but the fallback mechanism seems to uh, bring the best of both worlds as far as scalability, cost, uh, and as well as decentralization. Just brings me back to the original point as we wrap up here. It's like, you know, it's light nodes, it's sampling, it's, it's, um, it's modular rollups, it's um, different pruning mechanisms, it's launching, it's fallback, it's all these different things that you guys have created, other people have built on top of, and we're now era of abundant block space and solving this trilemma issue one step at a time without going back on the first principles of about of why blockchains exist so um it's bullish man dude you 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 couldn't i couldn't have said it better myself i mean um again i, I want to emphasize well first of all yes what this whole modular blockchain movement is about is among other things is we can build these systems that are actually scalable without compromising on the core values of crypto and blockchains up until you know these innovations it felt like okay well we can scale these systems but in order to do so we have to sacrifice on trust minimization and user verification and all these things and the reality is actually no we don't have to and i think that's just it's amazing like otherwise crypto may have just kind of like fizzled out right like we might not have ever we may have just been stuck with these very congested but trust minimized chains or these really scalable but just very trusted chains and not been able to get some of the best of both worlds. Um, and I also want to emphasize, though, that you know, Socia may have been sort of the first to you know plant the modular blockchain flag and to just sort of promote this idea and this architecture. But overall, you know, we're we're contributing. Just this, this you know, a foundational component, the consensus and data availability layer, but it's really a, it's so much bigger than Celestia. You, got, you know, you have teams, you have all these different roll framework teams, you have all these different teams building L2s, shared sequencers, you have other DA layers, you have, you know, people working just purely on bridging, you know, like Hyperlane or Succinct or Union, people working just on ZK proving and ZKVM and stuff. Like, there, it's a insane amount of talent and and projects out there that are all contributing to this and like it's bigger than any 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 one of us or any one project you know and that's also why frankly it's like the people who are all about this monolithic thing i'm just like i don't know how you can compete with this <laughs> like how are you going to compete with literally you know a hundred plus extremely talented extremely motivated teams all building into this this modular future like i just don't think it's like it's 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 like permissionless innovation and uh, experimentation, and there's just no way to compete with that. And the incentives are actually aligned, you know. And and that's why we say modularism, not maximalism. It's really about you know we each contribute our part to this greater whole. And um, you know, crypto. If we're gonna if we're gonna be successful in building building this new internet, um, you know, that is Web three. You know, it's gonna take. A village is going to take, you know, 
literally the entire world to 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 move mountains to get us there. And so, you know, I, we're 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 happy that we were able to play a small part in this thing and hopefully inspire people to to continue to build modular. And um, so, yeah, I'm I'm grateful for for the whole community. Creates the entire modular narrative. Humbly claims that they're going to play a small part. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for that optimistic end off. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Likewise. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Robbie. Um, you know, big fan of you guys and um, excited for you guys to keep covering the modular space. And um, uh, yeah, I just, you know, hope, hopefully, maybe we should do it again sometime, maybe like a year from now, or I don't know. We should keep checking in. Maybe fun. Thanks for listening to the DeFi by Design podcast. And a big thank you to all of our sponsors for their support. Please check them out in the links below, as well as on our website and in our newsletter. We'll be back with more exciting guests and insights. Until then, stay curious, stay informed, and keep designing the future of DeFi.